We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I'm James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me. Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham. What's going on, Sean? Oh, man, not too much. I'm actually in the foothills of California. Found a Starbucks nearby our camping site. I'm not a camper. Camping to me is hotels. And uh, I spent a whole night in the dirt. I've got another one coming up. I feel gross, but I'm here. Sean is here. And also joining us is White Chocolate, uh, Brandon Nunes. We're just going to call him White Chocolate because, you know, that nickname's not used. So we'll, we'll just throw it at him. Not at all. No, and I'm uh, here ready to issue my public apology to <laughs> Kenny K9 Thomas. Oh, it makes sense now. It makes sense, yes. Yeah, I was not informed that the nickname K9 was taken and tweeted that I like that name for Kevin Herter, and Kenny Thomas does not approve. Uh, yeah, Kenny Thomas was K9. Uh, and of course, Jason Williams, uh, for, in case you didn't know, uh, I got Brandon that Nunes. One. I got that one. <laughs> <laughs> was white chocolate. Uh, yeah, I, it, it kind of blew up there. I think it, it's funny. I mean, Kenny Thomas at least was like, he was all right with it. Like, it is what it is. Yeah. 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 He, he was forgiving of me, but I do not think that Kevin Herter can have the nickname K9. No, probably not. Probably not. And I think Red Velvet is like one of the the best the best uh, nicknames that are that's in the NBA. I don't I don't understand why we need to go with something different. Um, okay, so hey, we're doing this live. Uh, we don't get to do this live very often, but uh, I'm coming out four hours straight on the radio with uh, Damian Barling today, um, and we had a great show. We had all kind. Of, Trista Crick is always hilarious. Uh, Kyle Madsen was awesome. Jerry Reynolds joined the show, um, and Matt George finished it off. We had a good day, and it was a long week, but uh, we're probably not going to run this thing that long. We'll probably go, you know, somewhere around an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, uh, just because I'm I'm a bit worn out, but we want to make sure we get our second pot in for the week. 
So uh, Sean, like he said, is joining us from um, a Starbucks. His audio is going to be a little bit noisy for those of you who like to complain about things like audio and Sean's audio. Oh, they love to complain. They do love to complain. It is what it is. Um, and uh, I, I think we're going to do a lot. Make sure you guys are active in the chat today because we're going to probably focus a lot on questions that you might have um, because you know, show prep and everything else when uh, you're camping or working on the radio or doing your other job, which Brendan does all the time, uh, doesn't always happen. So, um, you know, outside, what's going on? How are you guys? Everything good? I think I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm a little unclean, so I don't like that. Uh, I don't like that <laughs> element of things right now. But um, as I get some weird... Uh, looks in the starbucks but yeah man i feel i feel pretty good it's it's i'm glad summer league is in the rear view um i i love looking at a lot of the comments uh always because they're very amusing um but even after this one i feel like i was under attack for relaying stuff i've heard um about starting lineups and that was a little odd because it seemed i feel like we have listeners that are good listeners Maybe some commenters aren't good listeners, but I feel like I was being blamed for relaying information I was told uh, regarding discussions about starting lineups. And I, I think it should be said, like, like <laughs> just because Keegan Murray, in my opinion, may not start right away, if that's the case, doesn't mean he doesn't start by December, or January, or anything like that. Like, I, I think there is an earn it thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he does start. Um, but yeah, man, people are coming at coming at it for. Uh, seeing what a possible starting lineup could be and I I'm just merely saying what I've heard so um, they want to fight you Sean they, they do want to they, don't fight like you. they don't like the uh, they didn't like the the idea of that and look I don't necessarily blame them I just like don't don't kill the messenger here um, and yeah I mean we also saw Keegan Murray's father in the chat which was great like that was kind of fun yeah um, but I would say like uh, like yeah like if he didn't agree with me saying um, that summer leaguers aren't NBA player, all I'm saying is is just don't take too much away from summer league and draw conclusions. Is all I'm saying. So I think we're all saying the same thing. It's not a disparaging thing about Keegan Murray, your son, or any of the people he played with. But uh, yeah, man, people get sensitive in the summertime. It's pretty. Maybe it's because it's hot outside. You know what? Let's just continue now. Sean needs to it. apologize for dropping profanity Never. in front of the nope. Wilcox kids. Nope. Uh, Wes Wilcox kids listen to this podcast watch it religiously Sean's out there dropping profanity he's got to apologize for that um, we got a whole list of grievances for you Sean <laughs> I would like to apologize and then yeah man like I would like to apologize for absolutely nothing to quote the great Conor McGregor <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez uh, I, think I didn't know we go ahead go ahead Brent. we we could roll with one of the things in the chat here is uh are the kings still taking calls on hb and I, I think that the more that i think and look at this roster like moving on from harrison barnes is a pretty tough scenario because as we've said before you need another harrison barnes so with the kings going all in right now and kind of the way that this summer has gone and the roster that we've seen slowly get built. Do you guys think that there's less of a chance that HB has moved on from because he seems to be in like the most scarce position for Sacramento? Huh. Um, like, look, I, you know, we just, I, I just talked to Matt George a few minutes ago and, and like, he's got a point that if you move on from Keegan, I mean, from, from uh, Harrison Barnes, 
you might not be better. Like, there's a good chance that you take a step back in trading Harrison Barnes. And I kind of get the, I understand that point, but I also kind of feel like Monty McNair isn't looking to take steps back. If he makes a move, it's more of a swing for the fence move. I don't think it's trading Keegan Murray. For, I mean, geez, Harrison Barnes, sorry. I, I don't think it's trading Harrison Barnes for like two players that can play the three that are major steps down. You know, Harrison Barnes still does a lot of good things. He's a great community guy. He's great in the locker room. He's great to, for young players to talk to. He's a stable human being who has a wife and a child and is do, he does the right things. He's uh, a guy that is spectacular, again, in uh, social justice initiatives, and he's part of, you know, big things within the NBA Players Association. He's a good human being to have on your team. If you're going to move off of Harrison Barnes, I kind of feel like you're trying to upgrade the position, right, Sean? You, you didn't mention anything about his basketball playing ability, though. But he is good at basketball. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, what are you gonna, <laughs> you got to mention that he's also a pretty damn good basketball player. Yeah, yeah. No, he is a very good basketball player. And his defensive numbers were atrocious last year. I, I'm not going to say it any other way because, like, looking at them, the synergy numbers were like, oh, no. Um, but they feel like they're a one-off. They feel like it's the function of dysfunction from the Sacramento Kings 2021-22 season that it's a blip on the radar. I don't think that his body is falling apart. I thought last year, especially early in the season, he was so good offensively. Um, but I think it took him a lot longer to heal up from the foot injury. He only missed a couple of games, but I think it took him a lot longer to heal up. And I don't know that he was right for a while. And he was surrounded by really bad defensive players. And I think he tried to cover for some guys, and that didn't work any his defensive metrics were just like bad. I think he can bounce back. I think he can he's still in my opinion, he's still the third best player on this team. Am I wrong? No. I, I think that that's about right. I think that like HB, Keegan, and Kevin Herter are kind of all in a tier together in my mind, and maybe that's overrating Keegan early in his career. Um probably is. It might take him a little bit of time to still get accustomed. So I, I think that you're you're spot on with that and like as much as it maybe feels like this is the last year of HB move on from him now, or you end up losing him and getting no return. Like there's a part of me that wonders if the Kings do turn it around this year and it goes well, is there a way that HB does stick around? I don't know. What do you think, Sean? I don't know. I think it's a lot of, you know, every year he becomes more and more tradable. And I think we covered it pretty good in the last, uh, in the last podcast, which I think, he as a player is open up to so many different uh, scenarios that could come into play with him, you know, approaching the last year of his deal. And, you know, if it gets to the point where you hit January, let's say you don't move him and you go into the season and you hit January and maybe you, you're falling flat of maybe the goals you were looking out for, um, you know, you move him onto a semi-contending team and it would make sense. I also think that... Um, the possibility of extending him exists. However, I just don't see it. I think they'd probably go into the offseason next year and before making some of those kind of uh, uh, decisions. And uh, look, you can do a lot worse than, than, than Harrison Barnes. He's been 
pretty exceptional for his time here in Sacramento, I think, overall, as a professional. Um, certainly, I'm always on him to want to make him shoot the ball more because they need him to be uh, a, a, a big force offensively, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, man, like I, I just feel like uh, he, he's totally under a microscope right now. And based off what you have, uh, I think he's definitely some trade bait. I think you could pack, make a nice little package, but um, we're in, like, in a little bit of a holding pattern right now, it seems. Yeah, I'll say this too about Harrison. Um, like, again, he fits what you're doing, but if you increase the, I don't know, the value of the players around him, and I, I think the Kings have done that. I think Kevin Herter is at like a, a really solid piece to add. I think Malik Monk is a really solid piece to add. I think, again, Keegan Murray is a really solid piece, but also DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, he only played 15 games with the Kings last year you don't have to have Harrison Barnes shoot a bunch of times. I mean, if he's averaging 15, 16 points a game next year, that's fine because I think you've increased the the sort of the offensive potential of the players around him. And I, I think that that could actually play more into his hands where he doesn't have to be that force. And, you know, Sean, you brought something up. Like, if they get to the deadline and things have fallen apart and, you know, a contending team wants him, you can probably get something good. Well, what if it's the reverse? What if you get to the deadline, you're a playoff contending team, and you're risking losing him, but you can trade him at the deadline, but you might have to take a step back or disrupt unity or do some of those things. That's kind of the danger, isn't it? Yeah, I would think so. I don't think they look at Harrison uh, just money off the books and say, well, that's better. You know what I mean? Like, I think you, you, they want to at least hopefully get something for him, or you know, even if it's trying to find that backup point guard that they, that they in my opinion, they need another point guard. Um, however it looks, you know, I think it's something you might be able to address right now. But because um, the you know the free agency well has pretty much dried up, and it doesn't look like you're going to be much of a player in that regard. So. Um, you know, could it be a Della Vadova or a Quinn Cook, someone that they've worked out in Vegas, maybe? But yeah, I feel like you're going to explore a lot of options and 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 try to be able to strike and maybe attach yourself to something. But uh, I agree with you guys. Like, I just don't think that looking at Harrison Barnes simply as you know, 18, 19 million dollars off of your salary cap as you enter next summer, looking at that as a positive, I think you kind of want to turn that into something for sure. Yeah, definitely agreed. I, I think that any frustration I've ever had with HB is, I, I think, solved if you make him a fourth option instead of third. And, like, his numbers are, are nice and he's an efficient player. I feel like he's a little more up and down than what those numbers sometimes represent. Um, there's just some games that HB, I, I feel like, could step up and be the guy to kind of help slow the game down and recontrol the pace. And maybe you just don't get that quite as often, but like James pointed out, if you have a Kevin Herter stepping up that maybe can kind of be the third option instead of a Harrison Barnes or Malik Monk can be the guy to get a bucket when you need him to. Like, I think that with a remodeled role, you could feel a lot better about HB. And that's not to say that I feel bad or anything right now. Like he's a very efficient player who plays solid defense, plays within himself. Like he's a really valuable piece. That's the reason that we talk about him as a trade asset, because I I think he does have a really valuable skill set. It's just the Kings kind of have themselves in an interesting situation. And like what you pointed out, James, I just don't see how in the middle of the season, 
you're pushing for the playoffs and sure there's championship contenders that feel like HB could be a difference maker to them, but can the Kings, like you said, make themselves a little bit worse in this like desperate push for a playoff race? It's a interesting situation that they could end up in. Yeah, this is the problem with trying to push for the playoffs when your team might not be ready or isn't complete. And it's also the problem with going into a season with something like this hanging over you, right? Um, I think if you could clarify the situation with Harrison Barnes, either by extending him or trading him before the season, that would avoid any type of drama, which I think we've talked about. Like I, That's always going to be the biggest issue. The Kings can never avoid drama. It's sort of like their calling card. And I also think, like, look, we talk about Harrison Barnes as a third option. What if you have, like, four third options? Because that's what it kind of feels like. Maybe even a fifth third option. Like, what if there isn't, like, after Fox and Sabonis, what if it's more of a everyone's got equal opportunity? And that would be, you know, Davion and uh, Herter and, and Monk and uh, Keegan Murray and, you know, like, everyone has equal opportunity. Harrison Barnes has equal opportunity. So let's not put the pressure on one guy to be the third guy. Let's take turns. Like some nights, a uh, guy's going to be hot. Let's ride the hot hand. You're going to need three of them to be like at least competent to go with Fox and Sabonis. And that's barring like injury or barring like a bad shooting night from one of those guys. But I think that the way that this team could be built is different than what most people are thinking. They're you know, we always want the pecking order, but what if everybody has like sort of an equal share after you get past the top two guys? Yeah, kind of a little, little bit uh, reminiscent of kind of the scores, you know, of that year with with Dave Yeager and having that equal opportunity offense. And I think that's certainly something that Mike Brown would like to see, especially when it comes to pace and flow and ball movement uh, emulating that team in Golden State that he, that he was down there with, but all the while trying to improve defensively and improve team defense more than anything. So um, I, I think you could certainly see that, but I also think things kind of arise through training camp. You get a couple preseason games in you, you get about 15, 20 games into a regular season. Some would argue that might be too much, but that might be enough time to try to really figure out what you have uh, for a first-time head coach in Mike Brown. And James, there it goes. Boom. Got it. Oh. <laughs> Shake that one off, pal. Good sneeze. I got to the mute button fast enough. <laughs> the scramble for the well mute button. Well done. Well done. But yeah, I mean, to just to that point, like, like just I, I feel like some of those things will kind of bear fruit um, that first month of the season, maybe get into the first 20 games or so, and, and then you really have more of an idea of what your pecking order is or what your priorities are offensively. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. And part of the reason or discussion we just had about like HB and why moving him is complicated positionally is, in my mind, why Rashawn makes even more sense as the trade asset to be moved on from if you want to make an improvement somewhere else. Like Rashawn already has, in my mind, a questionable role on this team. Maybe different if you ask Sean Cunningham, but um, <laughs> I, I think that it's a. Uh, that's why I look at Rashawn as the guy that, in my mind, feels more likely just going off of what this roster looks like right now. Uh, yeah, okay, so how about this? I'm going to ask you this. Um, like, what was it, four years ago, five years ago, the Kings had Zebo on their roster. Anytime the Kings got in trouble, they went to Zebo, right? 
And so 6.60 runs usually stopped at 6. They didn't go to 10. They didn't go to 14. He's a guy that you can count on for a bucket. Do you think that having Sabonis this year can help stabilize that portion of the Kings? Because it feels like over the last few years that the defensive runs that they, you know, the Kings have a pen, uh, like a tendency to just take bad shots and, and to allow things to snowball and get out of control super quick. But Sabonis isn't that type of player. He's going to, you're going to run the ball through him. You're going to make sure that you're sort of controlling the tempo, the flow of what's happening on the offensive end. It doesn't feel like this team, especially with the players that they've added, you know, if you're going to feed Sabonis in the post, he can go get you a bucket for sure. He can also hit De'Aaron Fox on a cut. He can also find Harrison Barnes in the corner or Kevin Herter on the elbow. Like, there's a lot of things you can do with Sabonis where you don't feel like this this Kings offense will spin out of control, which, of course, usually leads to bad defense, to worse defense, because you're always... I mean, it, clearly, your defense is better when you're pulling... when. The, when the other team is pulling the basket, the ball out of the basket, than when it's in transition. So, I mean, is that one way that you guys see that this team, specifically this year, and the improvements that they've made might be able to help uh, control some of the, the defensive woes just by not getting in transition, but also sort of the consistency of a team on a nightly basis? I, I think I'd like to see him be, you talk about Sabonis and, 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 and specifically, I think I need to see him be a little bit more selfish on the offensive end because I know it was a small sample size from when he came over, but James, how many times would we see him looking to move the ball and facilitate everyone just standing around watching him? And, and that just that just can't be. You have to find that free-flowing, that, that motion offense and, 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 and run, some, run something. Uh, rather than just have guys stand in the corner and just and, and look at him, hoping he's going to bail you out and do something. So um, I think they'll again, it'll be more of a figuring out process, especially after making the trade last year, where the team was a little bit wonky. It just wasn't really you just kind of unloaded a lot of things and didn't have the right pieces around him. Now you've got some added shooting, which is certainly going to help. You got some playmaking around him, and and more than anything, you got some you got some much needed length. So uh, I, I, that's where I see someone like Keegan Murray impacting a ton but like if you move Harrison Barnes uh, then what does it look like are you relying on somebody like Trey Lyles even more than you than maybe you would have planned out maybe wanted to do or even someone like Chemezi Metu I think they're really gonna try to find length in the lineups because you know in the guard areas they're a little bit smaller you know they, they, in, until they find that next backup point guard uh, maybe you can find some length there but I would imagine that backup point guard won't be uh, the, the tallest guy in the world either. So uh, length is going to be something they're going to, I think, lead to a lot this season. Yeah, I, I think the stability and kind of slowing an opposing run by getting a bucket of your own that you kind of talked about with Zebo. like I do think that Sabonis is a big aspect of that, but I think the spacing that they have, the much improved spacing is a big aspect of that as well. Like a lot of it, like you pointed out, is just really half-court offense because you're not getting transition opportunities if the other team's scoring. Um, on, on their end so I, I think that having Sabonis as that player that can be an offensive hub and you run the ball through is super helpful but also having 
Uh, Kevin Herter and Malik Monk, who shot 41.9% on catch-and-shoot threes last year. Uh, Harrison Barnes was a 40% three-point shooter last year. Keegan Murray looks like he's going to be a really good shooter. So I think that Sabonis definitely does help with the half-court offense, but the spacing around Fox and Sabonis should really help with that as well. And in my mind, there's a lot of ball movement with this offense, a lot of quick touches and um, cutting and running through Sabonis, but less of him holding it for a long time and kind of surveying the floor and more of him getting it and quickly moving it and a lot of quick touches. Yeah, I'd look at Sabonis too. You know, when he came over to the Kings midseason, his usage jumped tremendously from what he was doing in Indiana. And his assist rate was incredible for a big man. It was 28% on the season. Well, for the 15 games in Sacramento. When I watched him play last year, I kept thinking that he made so many of the right plays and his teammates sucked, like in all honesty. They let him down so many times. And I thought he was a guy that could have easily had, you know, an extra, you know, he finished it to 5.8 assists per game. I thought he could have had seven something uh, assists per game. And so I'm kind of hoping that we see that Sabonis. I guess the question would be, um, either one of you can take this first. Uh, if you were to point to one thing that like, how does Sabonis improve? How does he take a step forward? We know he's working on the three point shot, but that's one component. If he were to have like an extremely successful season, what would, what would your numbers be for him? Um, you know, is it, 2012 and and six is it you know 2014 and eight like what would be successful for you guys i guess around that like 2012 and six and a half is like what he did in that all-star year at indiana and like that's a good season obviously for him i don't know that it's like fair to expect any those exact numbers out of anyone but i think that that's totally doable from Domas and I I think the aspect of his game that you could see the biggest jump is I mean it's basic but just his jump shot like I I think even from the elbow that was what surprised me the most when he came to Sacramento was through all these actions that they're running through him at the elbow that like how many times did we see him just turn and take that shot because nobody else is really close to him so I think the ability to hit that and also kind of like the issue you saw with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns is ideally in a pick and roll, you want one person to want to get to the basket and the other one to be more of a jump shooter. And the issue with Cat and D'Lo is they were both jump shooters. The issue with Fox and Sabonis is that they both want to get to the basket. So they kind of clog up their lane together. So I think if one of them can develop a pretty reliable jump shot, and maybe that's Fox's mid-range, but I also think Sabonis having a shot from the elbow or obviously more ideally from three is in my mind the biggest jump in his game. I think, you know, he's the disappointing thing, I don't know, know if, this, if that's the right word, but he's only averaged 20 points once in his career. And I think in Sacramento, he's going to have to, I want him to have a career scoring year in Sacramento this coming season because I think he's got to be, he's got to recognize he's the best player on the floor and he's going to have to be a, work, a workhorse for them. Now, granted, he likes to move the ball. He, they like to play through him. I get all that. But I feel like him averaging 20 points a game is a must. The guy's a walking double-double. And if he's improved his jumper, he's definitely working on that from the perimeter. I think that's a good thing. But uh, I, I want to see him be much, much more aggressive in the paint uh, on the offensive end than what we've seen in those uh, first few games here in Sacramento. I guess we could do the same thing, but you know, kind of move around a little bit. De'Aaron Fox, I mean, he, he had a good season last year for stretches. He also had some miserable points to the season where it 
just things didn't work at all. I mean, the three-point shooting early in the year was bad. The energy level, uh, the the break before the trade deadline, uh, you know, and then he finished off the season on, you know, the, the IL with, uh, with COVID. And, oh, no, no, he had the hand injury uh, at the end of the season. Um, so... Like, what do you expect from him? Because this is like the defining year for De'Aaron Fox, it feels like. He needs to be the ringleader for this team and, and the guy who takes that that tremendous step. But what is that tremendous step? Like, is it a certain amount of points per game? Is it assists? Is it just being more consistent and bringing the same energy every night, three-point percentage jumping up? How would you, like, sort of look at success for him? To me, it's consistency, but I'll also say I feel like what we that, that, that little sample size you saw of him playing so well when Sabonis came over, and we've talked about it, how Sabonis took that pressure off of him, um, that to me was incredibly encouraging, and I think he's got he's to double down on that in the next year. I think that having that, that pressure relief off of him where he can just go out and play and, and hopefully have the control of the ball in his hands again, but also learn how to play off Sabonis when you're moving the ball through him is, is going to be paramount. So uh, I don't know that I if I have a statistic in mind for him. To me, it's, it's all about the commitment of pushing the pace, keeping your foot on the pedal, but also not waning defensively. Like he tends to take too many quarters, too many plays off where – um, you know, defensively, he, he's much he's much better than what he shows effort-wise on that. So, uh, hopefully, Sabonis is infectious on that end of the floor as well for him to, to encourage him to keep things keep things consistent and going. And, and hopefully, Malik Monk and Mike Brown are as well. So, I don't, but I don't. You know, Brendan, you might differ. I don't, I don't know if there's a statistic or a percentage that I'm expecting from Fox every night yet. No, I agree with everything that. Sean just said right there actually I think that consistency on the offensive end is big and that's just not having these 10 game stretches where he goes quiet Um, I I think that you know the basic three-point shot or free throw percentage like obviously it'd be great for those to go up but in my mind I think statistically the type of year we see for Fox is like more points and and less assists something like I mean if you want to talk about a good outcome like 25 and 5 like I, I think that that's totally doable for De'Aaron Fox I I think that being able to play off of Sabonis is going to be really good for him I'm curious to see if there is kind of growing pains there and still like a chemistry that's obviously going to need to grow but what does it look like from the jump going into next season Uh, because we've talked about it before the margin for error isn't exactly uh, all that wide for Sacramento throughout this season so I think that just being able to be a force on the offensive end and then defensively really giving effort there because I don't think that I think maybe expectations of him defensively sometimes feel a little I don't know it feels overblown a little bit to me sometimes um, just as of late because it's your point guard your point guard's not the guy that's setting the defensive tone out there I think it's the wings and forwards and and big more often but I think just seeing him give effort out there can be infectious among all the other guys and that was an issue we saw last year was I think maybe he was one that got infected by not playing defense, but we've seen that happen. So just being locked in on that end and doing his part, he doesn't need to be phenomenal there, but he just needs to not be a weak point. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. We uh, I've brought this up a couple of times. Uh, Roland Beach, um, who used to be the Kings like stats guy, um, uh, he he brought a stat to me. It was at Fox against the top 
30 scorers in the league is like second in second best and like field goal percentage allowed he's really good and then against other guys like we've talked about this like the the performance against tj mcconnell was like it was like bad like there's no other way around it like watching him just get abused and it was like it was almost like stunning because a lot of it happened on like our end of the court where we were watching and it was like again and again just getting taken to the rack and it was tough to watch and i think that at the he needs to shore up everything on that on the defensive side of the ball and he can be a much better defender than he has been but he also needs to be surrounded by better defenders he also needs to have a coach that's sitting there focused on defense and working with him through some of this stuff i think some of his woes can be worked out through the addition of mike brown and his coaching staff uh, you know, the attention to, the de- to detail that Mike Brown is going to demand. I think there's also a possibility that Davion Mitchell, because he does play defense so so well, pushes Fox. Like, he's, he will push Fox to not only be better in practice, but, like, there could come a point that if you're not getting the stops on the defensive end, that Mike Brown is going to settle in with defensive lineups. He's going to go with his be- better defensive players and that includes Davion. So I would like to see Fox improve overall on defense for sure, like you guys. The other thing I'll say, like, he has to be a better three-point shooter than he was last year um, because two years earlier, he was like a 37% three-point shooter. Even if he was at 34 35%, that's great. He needs to improve as a free-throw shooter. And, you know, again, if he's at 80%, all of a sudden he's averaging a point more per game. You know, and these are things that he can do. And then lastly, I'm not okay with him averaging five assists a game. He needs to get back to back up to seven assists, eight assists a game because he's so dynamic as a as a scorer and as an attacker of the rim that teammates are wide open. So teammates need to hit open shots, which was a problem that the Kings had last year for sure. But he also needs to set them up and, and get them going more often. He's proven to be a great passer. Uh, like he can make the tough pass, but he needs to do it on a consistent basis, just like everything else. It seems like last year, I think that was the word of the year was consistency. And this is one of those things where I, when you break down a player specifically, you see the inconsistencies and how they hurt their team by not finding a way to like be able to write something in and pen as opposed to pencil every night. I, I think that there's a little bit of an excuse there when it comes to the assist numbers. For one, the team sucked last year. They were just bad. Um, yeah. it, you know, and, and then he had the ball out of his hands when he started the season. Uh, it wasn't the primary point guard option, if you will. So uh, I think there's some built-in excuses there. But I agree with you. He's going to be playing with the most talent he's ever played with in his professional career. So uh, I think just by virtue of that, he's going to ha- those assist numbers will climb. Um, I don't know what I'm expecting them to be, but certainly more than five would, would, would uh, I think, be an easy bet on that. Can I pitch Davion to you guys in a little bit of a different type of way for his next season? Perhaps. I'm curious. <laughs> Maybe. Is, is there, Maybe. Maybe white chocolate. <laughs> is there other players you can think of with reported crazy work ethics? Because I swear that Davion stories feel like Kobe stories sometimes. And what is, like, typically their year-to-year progression? Like, should I believe more that Davion's going to take a significant jump because of all these work ethic stories? 
Uh, no. <laughs> like, like one doesn't necessarily beget the other. Like, it's 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 nice to have the work ethic, but you also need the talent. You need circumstance. You know, he can work all day. He's still not the biggest guy on the court. So he has to. He has some things he overcomes every single day when he steps foot on the court. I think. I think the encouraging thing to do to to see is him carrying that over, him being bothered by losing, which is is. Don't ever lose that. Like if you're a player, you you have to be bothered by losing. Some players just kind of grow accustomed to it after a while. And I like the fact that he's still disgusted by losing. I like the fact that he looked like he wanted to play in the summer league. Uh, I I I like the fact that he wants to. He's talking a lot about snapping the playoff drought and all that thing, all that. But um, you know that that's great. But he's also becoming more vocal. He's more comfortable around his teammates and. That, to me, is, I think, the, the biggest thing. I don't necessarily feel that the work ethic will translate necessarily to, to basketball because I still feel like you can. there's plenty of guys who are good workers that you know, still just don't have it. Um, I think this guy does have it. He's a winning player, so he has to, he has to keep that, that work ethic. But it, for him, it's coming elsewhere. It, it, it's more of a, just a comfortability, in my, in my opinion. I think his shot, um, his, his knowing his spots on the floor, and really kind of taking a leadership role with this team is his biggest areas of growth for, for this team. And I think if he does that, this team will have success. Yeah, when I look at Davion, um, like the things I like about him is that like so many things that he does, like they're super refined. And I think last year he got in, he got himself in some trouble with, overworking himself with tiring himself out not having the legs that he needed on you know three games and five nights and uh you know so i thought his overall percentages were much lower than the actual game you know his his production looked like it should have been like that guy should shoot 38 to 40 percent from three i don't think that that's that's asking too much like he gets his shot off in plenty of time he's not rushed everything like form wise is perfect the shot didn't go off because i felt like he was just that little bit off that little bit exhausted the entire season and i don't mean that like he worked out so much on one day that he couldn't play that night and be good i mean the accumulation you need to understand that the nba 82 game season is a brutal grind it's not like any other sport it just keeps going and it's it's fast paced, it's hard, and you can wear yourself out very easily. And I thought that for a lot of the season, I just felt like he was just a little bit off. Everything he does, like when he cuts around somebody and he stops and pops from like 14 feet, it's such perfect form. Everything looks right. There's nothing off balance, there's nothing forced. And so I expect him to get better, but I also have to be realistic, and I think we have to be realistic that. He came into the league as like almost a 23-year-old dude. Like how far up can he go? I know work ethic can can make you a better player, can make you more refined. Uh, but at the same time, like how he can't get taller. He, his arms can't get longer. You know, he can jump a little bit higher, but really not that much higher. You know, I, I think where his improvement's going to come is uh, learning the league better, learning you know defensive tendencies better um becoming better 
playmaker for others, which I felt like the best thing that happened to him was that he got a really good long look at, at being a starter late in the season um, where it was his show and he had to run it. And I thought that that helped him kind of come out of his shell as a distributor at, because early in the season, I thought, okay, he's not even, he's not ready. He might be a year or two away from being a true NBA backup point guard. Now I'm comfortable going into the season with him as you, the backup point guard. And, and I think like shooting percentages wise and everything else, he's going to be much better. I think with him, it's going to, it's going to really come down to like, I don't see him as a guy who can average 16 points a game. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think he'll ever get that opportunity to score that much. I don't think that that's the way a team is going to design it. They have a star starting point guard. When he's in the game, he's going to be playing off that guy. And then you have all these other guys that need to eat as well. Malik Monk is going to need to eat. Terrence Davis, um, you know, Herder, uh, Keegan Murray, they're all going to want their shots. And so I think he can get better. But statistically, I don't know how much better he can get outside of becoming more efficient. Totally. And I think the efficiency is big. Um, like you guys are saying, I think his measurables limit his ceiling. I'm just curious what that ceiling still is at the size he's currently at. Um, the passing and playmaking, like you mentioned, James, definitely needs to improve. I think that there was flashes at the end of last season. But overall, like it, it's fine. It's just not a difference-making skill that he has or anything like that. He can make the the right read, but I don't, I don't think that he's manipulating defenses all too much with his playmaking or anything like that. And then it's really the three-point shooting. Like, if he's going to be playing off Fox and Sabonis um, and want a shot at being a starter alongside those guys down the line, then he's got to become a really good three-point shooter. Like you said, James, I think that there's reasons to be optimistic, but reality of last year was he shot 31%, 32% on catch and shoots. And there's really only one year we saw at Baylor where he was a good three-point shooter. Outside of that, he wasn't very good. So like, it's, I think there's both ways that you can find reasons to be optimistic and skeptical going into next year for Davion. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, you hit it right on. I think also too, he's got such a clutch gene, man. Like that that alone, I think when you need a play to happen and, and he's a guy who can really be on the positive side of some impactful basketball, um, that's going to keep him on the floor, you know, and, and just his winning nature and just how good he plays off his teammates is so good. I, I'm with you, James. I don't know that we're ever going to get to a point where he's averaging 15, 16 points a game. I, I'd love to see it because uh, I think he could be capable of that, but I think, as Brendan pointed out, it's going to it's going to come from beyond the arc if, if he makes those strides. But I don't think he necessarily needs to be. I mean, just be that leader. Be that kind of Chris Paul-type player. You know, If you can be that um, and surround yourself with and make so many of those teammates around you better, that that's going to be, that's going to be where the team succeeds. Yeah, and like, look, I think he can't improve his numbers just by being more efficient. And, and I think there will be, you know, if he gets an extra one or two shots per game, you know, he'll be okay. Like numbers wise, he'll be fine. Um, but he's durable. He's a guy that, you know, does a lot of the dirty work and a lot of the little things. I, I don't think that there's anything to be negative about with him. I just think you have to be realistic, you know, like that's all like be realistic about who your players can be. He's a top like seven of the rotation player with the potential to be more important to that, to a team. 
where he's actually, you know, in a closing lineup or something like that. But it really is going to depend on situational stuff. I'd like to see him get better at the free throw line, the three-point shot. I expect we'll just get 100 times better. I also can't wait to see him play with Sabonis more because he hasn't really been a guy who's got to play off of a big man before. And I think that he could use that to like get easier buckets at the at the rim uh, because a lot of times his buckets are like extremely contested. Um, and and again, I think that he's a guy that like he's going to be in an NBA rotation for a long time. He there's nothing that tells me he's going to be a star in the league, but as long as he's a star in the role that he has, which is being the Kings' best defensive perimeter, best perimeter defender then he should be okay, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think we saw him impressed right from, from the get-go defensively, and I think that, like Sean pointed out, like learning tendencies of players in the league is just going to – that's going to increase with his time. Like I think that he could get even better on that, and I have no sort of concerns with him on, on the defensive end. Like could he get a little bit better at navigating screen? Sure. Do I wish he was more switchable? Sure. But it's really like all nitpicky stuff when it comes to defense. Like – does more than holds his own on that end his personality will be infectious for this team i mean he's coming out of his shell uh he's 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 really got it and his teammates just love him and seeing that around being around the summer league team seeing seeing some of the veterans that have been around him him, he's having such a great rapport with guys like sabonis um that's just gonna go so far because um last year that 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 first rookie season and and when you're known as this leader and you're kind of trying to impose your will a little bit now it's going to come a little bit more naturally to him and i think that that's just going to benefit him a lot okay so we covered a few players there uh let's hit kevin herter because um he's new to the team but what we've seen from him in the last three years in atlanta is he kind of plateaued you know he's a guy who averaged uh right around 12 points a game for the last three years 12.2 11.9 12.1 so like right there like, how do you get him to take that next step? And for me, you know, we're looking at a guy who last year averaged uh, 10.3 field goal per, uh, field goal attempts per game. But of those, 4.7 came um, from distance. Uh, oh, let me see. 5.6. There we go. And he shot 38.9%. I think that, like, he's a guy that in the right situation with the right passing big like those numbers can jump up pretty substantially. And I don't know if I'm going to put Kevin Herter at like 18 points a game, but if he gets three more three-point attempts per game and and gets closer to like eight threes per game, which is for a shooter like that and a guy who's going to start, um, that would equate to like 3.6 points because, you know, 40% from three, uh, three points worth 1.2 points. Um, you know, so I, I think he could get up to... 15 16 points a game relatively easy just by uh by being an offense that's catered more to him to who he is and what he is as a player and an offense that like we talked about earlier about you know can't everyone just be a third option but in Atlanta it didn't feel like everyone could be a third option it felt like they had like a like so many third fourth options that it just got like you had one super giant number one option that's going to chuck a bunch of shots, but then you almost had too many players, too many options on the on the on the offensive side, and he kind of got lost in the shuffle where 
if he was used more correctly, we would have seen him get, you know, two to three more three-point attempts per game. I, I think for him, it, what's going to be so great is the shots will increase. Uh, he doesn't have someone like Trey Young um, that, that's kind of like a bulk shooter. Um, De'Aaron doesn't take 20 shots a game. Sabonis doesn't do that either. So I think the ball's going to move with them, and I think he's going to be the beneficiary of a lot of opportunity. And, J- James, you mentioned 18 points. Like, I, I honestly could see it. Like, I really could. Like, I, if you tell me at the end of the year that he's at 18 points a game, it would not surprise me. And I think that's basically based off of just the more opportunity he's going to have and – you know, you, you mentioned what's it look like. If he does exactly what he did in Atlanta, I, I think he's going to be a very, very good Sacramento King. Yeah, it's hard to not think the same. I think I'm, my brain is entering off-season mode because the other day I caught myself thinking about Kevin Harder being in the most improved player conversation next season. And I'm just spending too much time probably debating different random things and forced to come up with random new takes at this point. But I do think that, like, for the reason you guys pointed out, there should be a lot more shots for, for Kevin Herter. He only shot the ball at least 15 times, nine times throughout all last year. And I know that's a lot, but in my mind, the complimentary guys after Fox and Sabonis, like, they're going to have their nights. I think that their point totals maybe could be a little bit evened out among Keegan, uh, HB, and Kevin Herter, and maybe even a little bit going towards Malik Monk and Davion. But I think that there's going to be different nights where somebody is on fire and the ball movement in this offense should be able to find them in good spots. So I, I think that there's definitely going to be nights where Kevin Herter has his games. And like Sean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden at the end of the year you were looking and it's like, okay, Kevin Herter is the number three guy on this team. Are you guys convinced he's a starter at the two? I am, yes. yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We got think, it from Sean. I think we all are. Like, yeah. No, no, I, I, I'm convinced of that. I mean, from the beginning, it felt like Malik Monk was brought in to be the bulk scorer off the bench, right? The guy who just comes in without a conscience and, and is allowed free reign and gets a, a couple extra shots that you wouldn't normally get because he's going to be coming in and uh, given the green light to shoot. I think Kevin Herter's a lot better defensively than Monk, too. And... I know everybody says that Monk got better last year. A lot of it just has to do with size to me. I don't think of Herter as some great defender or anything, but being at 6'7", and him being a smart player, I think he has a decent like defensive understanding and has solid rotations. Like I, I think that he's a notably better defender in my mind than Monk, even though I wouldn't say he's like a great defender individually or anything. Well, and he gets in passing lanes so well. You know, that's one thing that I like seeing from him because uh, he's kind of he's like that a lot like what maybe not as good as what Tyrese Halliburton was in trying to anticipate passes and and be that kind of cornerback and and come up with an interception. But no, he does a really nice way of of disrupting passing lanes, and uh, I think that's where most of his defense has come from. He also is, you know, let's face it, he's a pretty long dude and can get his. Can, can can be disruptive, uh, but he does shy a little away from contact a little bit. So it's not like someone you're going to see him, you know, post up in the paint a lot. So or try to defend anyone in the paint. But um, yeah, I, I can see it. I think I think Kevin Herter is going to. You mentioned most improved player, man. Like that wouldn't that wouldn't be a that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I think you might see somebody like them. That's, it's a little early, obviously, but I'm trying to like think of who else might fit that category, Brendan. Uh, who else did you come up with? 
Davion Mitchell, and that's about it. Maybe Rashawn Holmes. Oh, my God. Ideally, Rashawn Holmes. How about not Kings players? <laughs> I did not sit down. It's That's, like, the most difficult award to, to try and predict with just you never know what guy's going to take a jump and, like – I don't know who who somebody it would have to be somebody that went to a lesser team and has a larger role more often than not like what we saw with Kevin Herter I think it's also it's it's potential for like first or second year players who can take like a monster leap who who come out of nowhere like or like a third year guy who you thought was good in year one and year two and all of a sudden like whoa whoa what just happened there and I think there, uh, there are a handful of guys. Like, I'm not going to take Herter out of that that potential. And someone brings up in in, in uh, the comment section over here, Halliburton is is a potential most improved player. That's a guy that could really, you know, because he's going to have an unlimited opportunity. Um, I, I think Herter, the other thing on the defensive end is we need to make sure we remember that he had to defend the toughest dude the last time because... That's just not what Trey Young does. Trey Young doesn't play defense at all. So Herder had to go down on one end of the floor and defend a, a tougher player than he will have to with the Kings. Fox will defend better players, and he'll have the ability to sort of get more of a natural matchup. And I think the good thing, too, is he's 6'7". Like, that's really good size for a shooting guard. And the fact that he can go play some three and he's more switchable or he can play 2-3, that's really good, as opposed to what the Kings started last year um, with, with Halliburton and Buddy Heald playing the two. Uh, I just think he gives you a lot more flexibility, and and I think that's a good thing for the Kings. I think they're going to find like him to be a shockingly perfect fit for this team, and that's why I like Monk as like the Bobby Jackson role and uh, Herder in more of not a Doug Christie role because I think he'll defend like tougher players but he won't defend the toughest i still think it's a it's a good fit it's a good fit for this for this roster and most importantly in my mind he also provides ridiculous spacing like from beyond the arc couple steps behind it and he's happy and willing to pull it and the spacing on this team should be pretty good as long as they don't play two centers at the same time I love it when, when Brendan throws when white chocolate throws just, shade. Just I love it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, okay, we've talked about this so many times. Uh, I don't think any of us think they're done. We're not going to tear apart every single player today uh, because we have like another I don't know three months before the season starts. Um, but I, I think this is a good start to a discussion about how guys will fit and everything else. Um, last podcast we did discuss the the over under at 32 and a half i know there's a video right now where uh like a gambling expert uh demolishes the sacramento kings and thinks they will win way less than 32 and a half games and there's no way they will cover that over because they're the sacramento kings was the expert named sean cunningham possibly whoa 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 shots fired that's that's uncalled sean said sean said yes when when pushed you did when there was a thousand dollar bet on the line sean said yes I right? just yeah, I just wouldn't bet. Man. I just don't. I don't do that. And someone's like, "Oh, take you know, sack up, you know, be a man, make us make a statement." It's like, I don't know what the freaking team looks like yet. Like, can we get to training camp? Is that so wrong? Like, can we get to 
again, like, I don't like, look, I've been right more times than I've been wrong when it comes to this because by virtue of them not making the playoffs, um, I can understand why someone wouldn't bet on it. I just want to see it first, you know. Is I'll live my life, y'all live yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brendan, you, I'm sure you saw that. I mean, it was pretty jarring. Because, I mean, he just completely discredits anything that Mike Brown's ever done in his career. Uh, Sabonis is eh. Uh, Keegan Murray's okay. Um, they still have Harrison Barnes. And it was like, yeah, there's no way. And for me, like, look, this was a team that fired their head coach after 17 games last year. They made a major a major trade in the middle of the season. Um, they had, you know, COVID issues like everyone else. But um, they also, you know, like they didn't they finished okay but at 30 wins i thought uh was way under what they should have won last year and i hate saying should have because sean's gonna roast us for that um but when we get to it like it's hard to imagine a team that has a stable head coach that's going to be here for at least the next two seasons at a minimum he could get the two by two get get four deal that the kings usually hand out um but (laughs) but there's also a possibility that this is a stable guy that helps his team improve. Um, but then on top of that, like having Sabonis for an entire season, having uh, Keegan Murray added to the mix, having Herter and Monk and, you know, everyone coming in as of right now, healthy and focused on one goal. It seems like a three win improvement over what we saw last year and the chaos that was last season the Kings should probably be able to get there without trying that hard. It seems like. Yeah, it absolutely would, it, should. It, it would, if you're Wes and Monty, like I said, last podcast, like it would feel like a failure if you do not. So I can understand that, but just, you know, when you manage your expectations, like, like I, I laugh at somebody who, who gets like the, the audacity to, to expect good things from the Kings because you just don't see it and it's not being it's not being a hater guys it's not it's just like Sean being an SNL fan Mr. Lowered expectations there are some people who get excited and I want them to get excited you should get excited like that be excited about your team but don't be arrogantly stupid and expect things right out of the gate from summer league that someone could be rookie of the year or someone could be an MVP or an all-star like that's just foolish man you're just setting yourself up for disaster and that's why (laughs) that just shows how starved people are for any little level of success so I get it I just be just like be optimistic be excited there's nothing wrong with that yeah we have a okay what do you think go ahead Brandon Sean just sounds like he's been hurt too many times. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not hurt. It's just it's. Like, I've been Don't doing this too me. long, and they're they're Don't like it's it's not Don't just King. <laughs> it's not just Kings fans. Like you will see fans who tend to get a little bit over their skis on certain things, and I just. I just shake my head and go, I don't know why you do that to yourself. It's like it because then if it doesn't happen, then you just like, I don't know. Do you, do you feel? completely let down does it ruin your day like I, I don't know it's not something that that I, I feel like people should be a little bit more realistic and the reality is is this team has not been good hopefully this is the year that that changes and again I, I said when Mike Brown got hired that yeah he's here the next four years whatever I feel like the playoff drought will snap uh, under Mike Brown's watch here 
um, but it'll also happen by them having talent around them, and I think they're well on their way. I just, what does it happen this year? It would not shock me if they are a losing basketball team at the end of the season. Okay, so let's field a couple of questions uh, to, to finish this show off. Um, we'll call the question portion of this the business of basketball, mainly because I haven't organized anything else for the business of basketball, but it is what it is. Uh, Megan asks a really good question. How badly do the Kings need a backup point guard if you're running everything through Sabonis? Can you just get away with a good ball handler? I don't think a third point guard is going to see any time on this team barring injury. So I, I think they, you know, of course there will be injuries, so they will see some time, but that's why I kind of lean more towards like, you might as well give a guy like Quinn cook an opportunity. If you're going to bring in a third point guard and say, look, man, if there's an opportunity, we need you to come in and be, you know, like a lightning rod. We need you to come in and score as much as possible. But I, I can also understand if the Kings walked in and said, all right, we got Fox major minutes. We've got Davion major minutes. Malik Monk can handle the ball. Um, Sabonis is a major hub that we can run the ball through. Uh, Terrence Davis can actually play a little bit if he needed to. I mean, there were times where he well, actually Keegan, played. Keegan can. Yeah, I mean, you can have... I mean, this team allowed Chemezi Metu and Damian Jones to, to get rebounds and take off running to the other end of the court last year. So... I'm not worried about getting the ball up the court. And if someone can just get the ball up the court and feed Sabonis, sure. But I think what you're worried about is a long-term injury. I almost wish that the Kings had a two-way contract where they could have a younger point guard that has some experience that you're bouncing back and forth. I I think they need a a third point guard in the worst way. Um, You're right. It's not necessarily that they'll play a lot, but you need depth and you need quality depth. And uh, whether it's a combo guard, whatever positionless basketball, you need another ball handler on this team, in my opinion. I think that they definitely do, in my mind, for just the sake of, like, breaking case of emergency. If Fox or Davion go down, then you need to have another option there. I don't think it's a guy you're giving consistent minutes on a nightly basis. But if you need to at the same time, like, I wouldn't hate trying a lineup where Sabonis is out there, and then it's Malik, Herder, um, HB, and Keegan Murray. Like, no traditional point guard, and maybe you can get away with that. So I think maybe that gets tried, and, you know, the Kings have 14 roster spots right now used up in two two-ways. So there is a question in my mind of, like, do you go third-string point guard, or do you need another wing? Um, or do you feel like Moneke and and Akpala kind of already fill those roles. So I, I think there's a little bit of a question there, but I do see why like a third string point guard makes a lot of sense to be added here. Yeah, I still think they need a legitimate backup small forward, but that's just my own feeling. Um, yeah. And I also, I understand that they've got Herder that can slide over and you can run a bunch of three guard sets. Uh, Terrence Davis can play a little bit of three. We saw it last year and actually they were really good when he was at three. Uh, for some reason, like when he was in the starting lineup, they actually had a, a nice little run. Um, uh, Callum Lambert, he doesn't specifically ask, but uh, he mentions Isaiah Thomas. What if Isaiah Thomas, would would you accept Isaiah Thomas, Sean Cunningham, lover of Isaiah Thomas, as your third string point guard? Yeah, I think you could maybe do better, um, but certainly I think uh, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd give him a look. Uh, you know, I, I think, again, I think you need more of a distributor probably than a guy that's going to come in and try to chuck. Um, but I think in, even in certain stints that he had last year, uh, he showed the ability to come on and kind of command the floor a little bit more, have a veteran presence to him, and uh, not be that guy that you, you would see in years past where he's just looking for a bucket. So um, I think, but honestly, I think, I think you could do better, especially on the defensive end. I think you need someone that's going to be a little bit more of a two-way player in that regard. I'm fine with IT. I mean, I guess I get a lot of crap for being a Celtics guy, but that's the one thing that I have in common with a lot of Kings fans is my love for Isaiah Thomas uh, because he was obviously phenomenal for those for those Boston teams. A whole, what was it, fourth in MVP voting and all of that. And I know he's not that same guy at all, but I think, again, when you're talking third-string point guard, it's not a guy that, in my mind, I'm relying on minutes on a nightly basis. And here and there, he's a guy who's been in the league for a while and can fill spot minutes as long as he's understanding of that being the role that's expected when he signs with the team then I think that's fine um I personally would like to cover IT and maybe maybe that's influencing me a little bit but like I'd rather have a DJ Augustine I'd probably rather have a Quinn Cook and I think like Della Vadova is a conversation so it's not like IT is the clear best option or anything like that but I wouldn't mind it where are you at with it James yeah, I mean, I love Isaiah Thomas. I don't think a backup point, a third string point guard, is going to play that much for for the Kings. Um, mainly because I think Fox is dedicated to trying to play as many games as possible this year. I think Davion Mitchell is a guy that you know we we still live in the age of COVID, so we have to worry about that as like an issue. Uh, so depth is a big deal. That's why I, I almost like the idea of uh, like a two way that you can bring up and can play the point. Um, that's running your, your G league squad, but you know, like has an idea of what he's doing. Um, but I don't know, like, again, I I love Isaiah. If he was the answer, I wouldn't be like, I would be like, all right, well, that's fun. Um, if he wasn't, I would understand it too. Uh, you know, I think again, like Quinn Cook, DJ Augustine, they're probably better options. Um, but you know, I also don't think that there's going to be much need for it. Um, here's, we'll kind of wrap this question around, uh, Dean, uh, Monk can have a breakout year, a Lou Williams type players, uh, star off the bench. Um, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that they are getting Monk at the right time? And is there a potential for Monk to be that Jordan Clarkson, Lou Williams, uh, Jamal Crawford type guy that just comes in and, and throws flames? I hope he feels that way. I really do. Because I feel that's that's where he's going to be best suited on this team. I think his confidence is at an all-time high. I think he's going to try and come in and win the two-guard uh, starting spot, though. But uh, to me, I feel like uh, he'll be the guy off the bench, and he's just going to have the brightest green light possible. Um, I think it'll be fun to watch. I think I think if he can duplicate what he did in L.A. last year, because, again, they didn't have a lot of bright spots down there, and he was – kind of the beacon for for anything that went right um uh, hopefully you can carry that into sacramento because they 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 will need someone like that i mean james we've talked about it before in previous seasons where you almost don't have enough guys who are selfish selfish enough to take shots and the the one that just kind of comes to mind is when they made the trade and Terrence Davis comes in and he's just chucking. He's just like, none of y'all going to shoot? I'll shoot. <laughs> and yeah, I got it. He, <laughs> Hold my was, beer. Right. 
I, I think he can absolutely take uh, take take that opportunity for for himself. I think the same. I'm interested to see what the Malik Monk experience is kind of like. I'm curious how often I'm going to feel frustrated like he's trying to do too much in that process, but it's a fine line between that and, and having the green light and kind of providing spacing. And, like, is he still going to have, like, just one of Fox and Sabonis alongside him, or how often do we see him playing alongside both of them? And I think that changes what sort of his role is on the floor at any given time. Just kind of messing around thinking about this the other day, like what Kings players are most likely to win X awards, and all of them are pretty unlikely, obviously. But like, I think Malik Monk was the first one that came to mind for six men of the year, obviously for the Kings. But after it, almost had me questioning, like, could even Davion be in that conversation if he took a jump? Um, could Rashawn Holmes be in that conversation because he's not a starter? You know, you never know. That's what happens when half your team is six men. Wait, Fair enough. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think Monk has the potential to be, um, to be a lot of fun. I, I'll say this too: like we we've talked about how much uh, De'Aaron Fox needed to have like one of his friends. Like bringing in Monk was good for De'Aaron Fox. I think having Fox there is going to be really good for Monk because we talked about the the great season he had last year, and it was okay. I mean, it was like, what, 13 and a half points a game or whatever, like 13, 14, whatever it was. It's not like he completely changed the narrative on himself. I mean, yes, he changed it a bit, but, you know, this is a guy who came out of college as like a starting shooting guard. And now we're talking about whether he can be a six man. Like, I really do think that like this is an opportunity for him to get right where he's comfortable, where he has a friend as well and can kind of take his career to the next level and, and progress where, you know, for the first four years, he didn't progress hardly at all. And then, you know, he had a, a decent fourth season, but the, you know, his fifth year was better. Um, but overall, I, I think that um, he's a guy that, you know, maybe you are getting him at the right time. That's really the question. Are you getting him at the right time where, he starts to understand what he's up against in his career that, you know, he got a two year deal, but this could be the last two year deal. If he doesn't build on what he did with the Lakers, where does he look after he's done in Sacramento? And I think that's something that people forget so often that if it doesn't work in Sacramento, a lot of times you don't get another opportunity in the league. You know, how many times has that happened? I mean, it, it's, it's a place where like it is an out, an outpost uh it, it when it comes to the nba and if you know how many like my, the first team i covered um seven i think seven players were gone within a year and a half but like darnell jackson luther head antoine wright uh jermaine taylor that's some know. p that's some ptsd right there who, who, some of those players who jetter Hassan whiteside uh dante green uh yeah like it, it's tough right so you need to show up in Sacramento and you need to say, hey, look, this is I'm getting a, a reboot and I'm going to come out here and I'm going to prove myself and I'm going to help the team win. And so I like the idea of him being like a six man. Um, but I also know that, like, you know, there could be limitations on who and what he is. I mean, I mean, for him, too, it's like I think it was beyond statistics for him. I think he kind of resurrected himself as a professional last year and he was around so many um big time players like LeBron AD and when they went down with injury like he came in and was able to kind of 
give them hope in a way, give them some some st- stability, which is something that you wouldn't have thought of thinking to yourself, Malik Monk and stability two years ago. So um, I think it was a resurrection for him. I think it was something that, that showed what type of player he's capable of, and now he comes to a team that's greatly going to need that as opposed to um, – him being that break in case of emer- break glass of in case of emergency when AD and LeBron go down, so um, this he uh, he factors to be a really big time player here in Sacramento. They didn't get him to to um, to to do anything less than what he did last year. I think statistically it'll be around the same, but if he has that type of impact on the Kings, I think it's going to bode well for De'Aaron Fox. I think it's going to help the success that they have, and I think more than anything he'll he'll line himself up to have another contract beyond the next two years so sean just said 40 wins go ahead go ahead Brian. Did, is that what i said <laughs> i think i heard 42 but what what's my guy kenny caraway always say the media the media <laughs> <laughs> i think what's encouraging is that like kind of we've said throughout this episode now for a couple different guys there's a few options of players that you could see having somewhat of like a breakout season in a way or taking a notable jump whether it be because of increased role or just the right time of year I mean surprisingly a lot of the guys that they added that makes them better make them better in the immediate are also pretty young so that definitely factors in but I think it's encouraging that there's three or four different guys on this roster that you could see taking a big jump and going into next season yeah I I think you're right there are there are more players on this roster that can take jumps than, than maybe I originally thought. I mean, of course, I think we think Davion can take a jump. We we think Herter can take a jump. We think that Keegan Murray can, you know, be better than what people thought. Um, and then on top of that, that, you know, Malik Monk fits into that category. I mean, even if things fall apart for certain other guys, I think Terrence Davis is a guy that could come up and, I mean, he's in a contract here. He wants to prove that he belongs. He was playing really good basketball before he got hurt. Um, he's a guy that, you know, maybe he does make sense and, and does have a, a good run, a good, uh, you know, stretch of games where he puts himself back on the map. Um, okay, if you guys are still watching, uh, make sure to give us a thumbs up and subscribe. If you're a first-time viewer of the Kingsbeat podcast, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we do this all the time. We don't do live shows all the time, but we certainly do shows all the time, uh, twice a week. Um, and we will continue doing that all the way through the summer, uh, even though some of them might do be like interview shows and stuff like that. We'll, we'll figure it all out. Um, but uh, on top of that, um, we're like super close to 2,000 subscribers, so that helps us. Make sure to subscribe, um, and we're having a good time doing this. Uh, do we have any last-second questions uh, that you guys want to throw at us? Sean, you I've got, got something? One. Brendan, yeah, Brendan, did you finish Godfather that night? Did you I did. Him? Yeah, report I did. card. Very good movie. Very good movie. Um, I didn't know it was ending when it did. You know, it kind of doesn't leave you fulfilled necessarily. Um, definitely has me interested to watch the second one, which will probably take place before uh, the next recording here. I very much enjoyed the movie. The character development is is very well done. And like I said, it doesn't feel like a movie from the 70s. It's such a perfect spot where you paused because you didn't. You're seeing like, uh, yeah, Michael is like this young, almost innocent war hero guy, and then, you know, as soon as he comes out of that bathroom, you're like, oh, there it is, and, yeah. he, and that's when he becomes he becomes Michael Corleone. 
so yeah, what a what a great uh, great film. Hey, Sean, have you watched The Offer yet? No, I haven't seen The Offer yet. Uh, I'm I'm planning on seeing it soon. I th- I think what I'm going to do though is go through uh, Godfather one and two, skip three, and just go right back to the right to the offer. That's how I'm going to do that. Yeah, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go watch the movie again. It almost feels like it's uh, like an Easter egg like movie, like where it just shows like the little eggs from from the actual Godfather, where you you're able to tie things together and. It's so well done and such good pace. It's got a really good pace to it. So that's something that I highly recommend because it's a companion piece, really, is what it comes down to. And especially if you guys are just watching the movies again, you're going to be like, oh, man, this is good. Yeah, this Was is... number three not not good? I enjoyed number three. Um, to be honest with you, I think I saw number three first. Like someone, uh, my aunt and uncle called... My mom said, hey, The Godfather 3 just came out. Can we take the boys? Which was weird because we never went and saw movies with my aunt and uncle. And we went and saw The Godfather 3. But it was, what is it, 1993? So, like, I'm a teenager. And then I went back and watched The Godfathers after that. Because, you know, again, like, I grew up in an era where once The Godfather was out at the movies, like, there wasn't a good, like, you had to wait until, like, 1978 before you could actually rent movies at home. Like, you had to wait for them to come on TV, and that didn't happen with a movie like The Godfather. So things weren't like they are now where a movie comes out of the theater, and then, like, two weeks into its bomb at the theater, they put it out on TV where you can start, you can stream it. It wasn't like that. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so... This is is the first movie that I owe both of you old men a thank you for having me watch. Uh, Uh, You're welcome for Swingers also. You're also welcome for Swingers. Uh, I don't think you totally understood (laughs) it, which is fine. (laughs) And if you didn't laugh at there's something about Mary, come on, Brendan. I did at moments. I did at moments. That was a solid one, too. If we're if we're ranking, Godfather clearly is number one. And well, then the we're Godfather going, is one of the greatest films as it of should all be. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just confirming, you know. Yeah, it uh, is. <laughs> and then what something about Mary. To, and then what we need to do, on. though, we have stop it. What we need to do <laughs> is find out something you're going to recommend for us because I will bet you uh, the Minion movie, bet, maybe. Which one? <laughs> I'm just joking. Do we have to dress up to go see it? <laughs> yeah, is yeah. that what you're doing? No, I'll, I'll have to work on. I'll, I'll have to brainstorm and get back to you guys. There we go. There we go. Uh, all right. I think that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. Uh, we will have a happy hour coming up. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's next Thursday. I'm working on it. Uh, this week, like, completely threw everything off. Like, completely threw everything off because I, uh, I had to work radio all week. And. <laughs> sitting in a chair for like four plus hours is not easy especially when you don't have a very good back um and then get on one of the boats tomorrow james um yeah yeah that's a whole nother story i'm gonna there might be a possibility but it's got to cool down a little bit um because i can't get in the water i have some stitches on my leg so long story uh anyway uh yeah i'm all right yeah it's another one of those things like getting older sucks just everyone should know that getting older sucks it doesn't matter like we we joke with brendan about watching movies but like it's it's good to be 24 years old and not have seen a bunch of movies because then at least you're you're 24 (laughs) years old and you got a lot in front of you 
sweet. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to try for the happy hour next week. Um, I will alert everybody. I'll be writing this weekend. Sorry, there hasn't been a lot of writing this week or any writing this week because I've been hammered um, filling in for Kenny Oh, Carraway. I thought you I thought you were saying you've been hammered, you know, drinking. <laughs> no, I will be in a few minutes. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> happening tonight. i got to be honest. It's been a long week. It's been a long, long, long week. So, um, it, Sean, uh, be careful up there in your camping. Good I luck will. with that. I uh, will. And by the way, final thing, I'm not a big state fair guy. But but watching Namiya Skeda uh, <laughs> experience certain American fare uh, for the first time, that was highly entertaining. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. What, like corn dogs or like... Yeah, we talked food on the stick. We talked, I said, like he was looking at... Now, he didn't branch out too far, but at least in the building that we were, which was air conditioning, thank, thankfully, <laughs> um, he found lemonade and... Oh. Uh, and and cinnamon rolls that were like award-winning that were just you just i'm not uh, dude that they did way too much frosting i mean they just globbed it on there and it was smothered and also like i kind of like cinnamon rolls a little bit colder than this one was piping hot so he, he was a fan though yeah i'm weird that way i know that i know people don't like that but uh i tend to like it a little like not not hot not fresh out of the oven hot maybe a little more room temperature yeah, see, I don't like the state fair, although one time I did go to the state fair and Air Supply was playing, and I went to the Air Supply concert, which was spectacular. Brennan, Air Supply is a 1970s and 1980s band, uh, which, you know. No. And the, and the guy was wearing, um, like, a, a vibrant, shiny purple shirt. I'm not even quite sure what was happening. Top of my li- I don't even think I could name a single song they do off the top of my head. Uh, you you would know uh, like four of their songs if you just typed in Air Supply. Oh oh yeah for sure. But I just couldn't like they're, they're not one I can just pull up and I don't even know what song they do. If I wasn't like fried right now, I could come up with a few. Yeah. You mean if you weren't Same hammered? Here. If you weren't hammered? Well no, I'm hammered gonna be job. hammered later. No, I'm fried <laughs> right now. I'm gonna be hammered in a few minutes. But yes. Uh, all right. So do we have uh, do we have any final thoughts? Do not uh, just. You know, good episode. We got Sean to say 40 wins, and that's all I needed today. Godfather 2? What? Yep. When, when, when did I say 40 wins? <laughs> Was it 50? I, I might have misheard you. We booked it. I don't know. Yeah, we okay. already put your bet down. Yep. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are terrible. Terrible, terrible. Terrible. Someone's going to hear that and go, but Sean said 40 wins. Yeah. <laughs> Sean said 40 wins. That's what happened. Um, all right. No final thoughts from Sean? Um, camping, camping can be fun. For certain people, I just I don't get it. I have dirt under my nails. This doesn't happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this doesn't happen. Um, all right, let's let's see. Final thoughts. Uh, stay cool. Uh, this weather's been brutal. Um, just walking the dogs is is unpleasant uh, for us and for the dogs. I feel bad for their little feet on the on the concrete. Um, that's Kenny Thomas. My bad. Oh, Kenny Thomas. Yeah, Did he really gonna... come after you, or was it Kings fans that came after? No, you? well, no, oh, he, no, he, he responded. was responding a, a lot, quite a few times to <laughs> people in my tweet. Hilarious. He's coming out with merch that has K nine on it, so and, and you're going to be front of the line, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, 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 that makes course. perfect sense that he's coming out with merch now yeah. that this happened. Yeah, 
I am the real canine. That's what his merch will say. Uh, yeah. yeah, awesome. All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kingspeed Podcast. Uh, we'll be back on, I think, Tuesday with another episode. Maybe we'll go live. Maybe we won't. Uh, before you leave, make sure to give us a thumbs up. Make sure to subscribe to the Kingspeed Podcast. So for Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham, and, of course, White Chocolate, Brennan Nunez of the King's Beat uh, and the King's Pulse Podcast and the King's Herald. Um, I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. We'll see you very soon. <laughs>